Thanks for joining us for another inspiring message from Alive Church, Orange County. To find out more information about Alive Church, please visit alivechurchoc.org. You can also follow us on your favorite social media platform by typing in Alive Church OC. Amen. Thank you so much. Let's stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Amen. Amen. You're happy in the house of God? Amen. Amen. Put your hand on your heart. Say, Lord. I render my heart. I instruct my heart to hear from God today. Let me receive truth that will set me free. In Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, I'm so excited. My husband is here. Yeah, and uh, get him to say a few words later, right? Yeah, so much has happened. This is the second month of the year 2024. But, you know, we enter the year in a whirlwind. <laughs> but we know it is going to be great. How many of you are excited about what that one thing is for you to be successful in 2024 and beyond? Amen? Amen. I want to start by saying this. It is more than, it is almost to the day, 50 years to the day that Israel went to war. The last war was in 1973, the Yom Kippur War, where the Syria and Egypt and a few nations came to attack Israel. But last year, 2023, Israel went to war again. Thousands of missiles rained over Israel, and the terrorist group Hamas came and attacked Israel by land, by air, by sea, targeting civilians to young women, old women, children, and held them hostages. Thousands have died and thousands have been wounded, causing Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to declare, we are at war. Why should we be concerned? Not only because our Savior is a Jew. He came from Israel but because the Bible predicted that the end times events will revolve around Israel. So what does the Bible prophesy about Israel? It says that Israel will be scattered and then regathered. That happened in World War II. During the Holocaust, six million Jews died. And because of that, they were dispersed all throughout the world. But in 1948, they came back together as a people and a nation. When that happened, the biblical prophetic clock started ticking. But what did Ezekiel 37, 38 says? That when Israel gathered together, there's a large force from her north by the name of Magog that will come to attack her. Bible students and prophecy teachers will tell us, predicted that that country is modern-day Russia. When you open up the Middle Eastern map and you draw a line from Israel all the way up to the north, you will hit Russia. But what does Russia have to do with Israel? Well, the Bible says that Magog didn't move alone. It moved with another nation called Persia. And Persia is the ancient name for modern-day Iran. So what does Russia and Iran has got to do with each other? Well, nothing much, except recent years, Iran signed a billion-dollar deal with 
Russia signed a billion-dollar deal with Iran to supply them missiles, where Iran supplied them weaponized drone in the attack of Ukraine. What should believers like us do when we read the Bible and the Bible says we need to pray for the peace of Israel? What should we do? Hold that thought for a while. Now, let's come to the world of the economy and technology. Take a look at this disruption chart, disruptive innovation chart. All throughout history, all throughout history, wherever there is a disruptive invention, it changes the way we communicate, way we live. It, it changes the way we educate our next generation. It changes the way we communicate. But every disruption, massive wealth is created because industries are formed, jobs are created. If you look at this chart from 1800, there is only disruptive innovation like maybe 50 years, sometimes 100 years, but it's stringing 20 years, 10 years. But in the year 2020, when the world shuts its door because of COVID-19, there was massive breathtaking acceleration in the area of technology. Seated here right now, we are sitting in the cusp of at least, please keep the chart up, at least five disruptive innovation, if not six. DNA sequencing, now you can choose the gender of your baby, right? DNA sequencing, what? Stored energy, solar, right? Uh, blockchain technology, next world internet, artificial or alternate intelligence. But not only that, what? Outer space travel. So you understand something is drastically happening here right now in the physical world. God has allowed acceleration to happen for the world to go into the new world order. So then when, when all this technology is fully adopted, this world will never be the same anymore. Can I hear amen? amen. Help me preach today, all right? Yeah, I, I tell you, he's going to enjoy it because it's going to anchor you for the journey ahead. So you understand that massive things are changing. So what should Christian, how should Christian respond to a rapidly changing world? What should we do? You know, Forbes magazine recently reported Goldman Sachs says that in the year 2030, there will be 300 million jobs lost because of artificial intelligence. If your job can be done by a machine, by then, it would likely be done by a machine. What does it tell us? It tells us this, that, and that's why in Europe and US, there's been massive discussion about the responsible adoption of artificial intelligence. People are trying to slow it down so that others can adjust and reinvent themselves. But you know that no matter what, we are going to lose a lot of jobs. When that happens, because of the massive rate that is going to happen, there will be a huge disparity between the mega wealthy and those who are struggling along the poverty line. So because it's going to be so big a problem, you understand that many, the possibility of many people falling under state help. Which means that we are seeing a likely possibility of going into socialism. Yes? So, 
understand as believers, we cannot be sitting in our church and not be aware of what's happening in the world. Because God has built us to be an answer to this world. Amen. God has created us to be the answer to this world. Recently, this verse keep coming in my spirit. John 9 verse 4. Jesus said, I must do the works of Him who sends me while it is day. For the night is coming where no one can work. This is day right now. There's something we must do. There are things that you need to be awakened to so that you can move along with God because God has great things in store for us. Can you say amen? Amen. Jesus warned us in Matthew 24. And this is what Jesus told his disciples. He said, take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Are we hearing wars right now? Yeah. See that you are not troubled. Let me tell you, this is not the end. It is coming. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Say not yet. For nation will rise against nation. Means the physical nation will go into war with each other. But the next sentence is kingdom against kingdom. Kingdom of darkness against the kingdom of God. There will be a battle. Right? It says, and there will be famines, pestilence, and earthquakes in various places. In the month of January, Japan started the year with an earthquake. Did you hear that? Yes. More to come. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up, Jesus said to his disciples. They will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. There will be worldwide anti-Semitism. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Because people will be a law to themselves. They are a God to themselves. And because of that, their love will grow cold. Is that a bleak picture? That is a very bleak picture. Yeah. But God. Everyone say, but God. but God. Don't look so serious. Smile at me and say, but God. <laughs> but God always leaves us the rainbow after the storm. Right? He always gives us an answer to the, the, the problem. He always raises up a remnant, a group of people. Look at 13. He says, But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Everyone say, That's me. That's me. So God is looking for a group of people, a company of people that is going to be able to endure all these things, all the troubles of the land, all the chaos, all the deception, yet they will stand firm for the truth. Do you want to know what the rich and famous are doing right now in the view of the apocalypse? I want to show you Mark Zuckerberg. Mark Zuckerberg recently bought a land in Hawaii, built a 5,000 square feet underground bunker, fully equipped with energy, food, and supplies, costing him $270 million. How many of you have $270 million? Let's build a bunker. But did God tell us to build a bunker? Did the Word of God say we are to build a bunker? Did the Word of God say that we are going to climb up to the hill and hide? What did God say? God told us to go up the mountain. But God says He wants us to be the, the, the solution to the problem. God never tells us to hide. 
neither did he tell us to build a bunker. But what does God want to do? Let me show you what God wants to do. All right, are you ready? Yes. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, get ready. In the year 2020, when COVID hit, God spoke to me very clearly in Haggai chapter 2. And you will be hearing me saying this passage over and over again, because this is not just a verse for a year. This is a passage for right now, till the Lord comes back. All right, Haggai chapter 2, verses 6 to 9. It says, For thus says the Lord, yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. In fact, I'm going to shake all nations. Everyone say all nations. God is saying He's shaking all nations not to punish them, but there's one purpose. He wants to see who will come to the desire of all nations, who will hang on to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this passage, you see that when He finds this company of people, when He finds this remnant, He will fill the temple with glory. Everyone say glory. And the next sentence is quite interesting. After he said glory, he said, the gold is mine, the silver is mine. Ladies and gentlemen, people of God, understand when the glory of God comes, there is always the transfer of wealth. The people will prosper. And that is the reason why we need to be steadfast in the Lord. Because when the prosperity comes, we can be an answer to the people of this world. But money is never the end. It is a means to an end. Because when we come to that place, God says, in the gathering of the remnant, there will be peace. In a time of chaos, confusion, and conspiracy, the church must be able to command peace. But we also need to be able to provide solutions for the people. Can you say amen? amen? So if you look at the chart, it says shaking. The shaking will come to separate. The separation to bring the remnant into the light. And then the endowment will come, which God will give us the glory. After that, the transference of wealth will happen. With that, the people of God come into a position where we can command peace in a world of confusion. So understand this is not after this comes this, after this comes this. It can be an evolving thing. But whatever it is, Haggai 2 tells us this is God's end goal. God's end goal is to raise up a group of people who will, step, who will be steadfast for the Lord. God's calling for the church is to raise up a remnant. Everyone say remnant. remnant. Not a group of people who gather on a Sunday and do your religious duty. America right now is plagued with religion. They cannot distinguish the true faith from rituals. They were born into Christianhood. So they do what their parents do. They did what is expected of them. They come in and go out every Sunday. But they don't have a relationship with God. So understand, we are in the age of religion. So we must be careful not to fall into the culture of this world. In fact, Ezra 9 tells us that the, the remnant is the one that will provide a sanctuary for the people. That means protection. So God is wanting to raise up a remnant to protect the rest of the world. You see, because God loves the world. God wants to save the world. But He saves the world through a remnant. Ezra 9 verse 8 says, For now, 
But for a brief moment, the Lord our God has been gracious in leaving us a remnant and giving us a firm place in His sanctuary. And so our God gives light to our eyes and a little relief in our bondage. To save the world, the church must raise up a remnant. But the remnant is all about one thing. All right? Everyone say one thing. thing. I want you to put your finger up. All right? Say one thing. thing. Okay, you'll be asked to do that quite often, huh? So be prepared. Okay. (laughs) All right, say one thing. So what is that one thing? The rich young ruler. In the story in Mark, this rich young ruler grew up in a Christian home, just like many Americans. Grew up in a Christian home, was taught to dutifully come to church, give his tithe, do everything all right. But he knew in his heart something was not right. So when he heard Jesus preach, he said, Rabbi, how can I be good? He's already doing everything right. But Rabbi... I don't feel good. How can I be good? And look at what Jesus said to him. Jesus said in Mark 10 verse 21, Jesus looked at him and loved him. He said, one thing you lack. Everyone say one thing. thing. He said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Many times when we preach this, we preach it because of the money. But is his problem the money? Is Is it because he has too much money? What is that one thing this rich young ruler lack? Think, think about it. Hold your thought for a while. Paul spoke to the Philippian church. In Philippians 3, he says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing, one more time, say one thing. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. So Paul had one goal in life. What is Paul's one goal? Let's look at Mary, the sister of Martha. Jesus was coming to their house. The two sisters were very excited. Martha was busy trying to cook up a feast, you know, to make sure that the guests are welcome. Mary, on the other hand, just leaned on Jesus and then sit at his feet and wanting to just draw from Jesus. Martha got very upset. Say, Jesus, go scold my sister. He, she never helped. Look at her. All she did is just sitting there, you know. And what did Jesus say to Martha? Luke chapter 10, verse 42. He said, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Everyone say one thing. One thing. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So what is this one thing Mary had that is better? All right, last one, David. David in Psalms 27 verse 4 says, One thing, everyone say one thing. One thing thing I ask from the Lord, and this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord, and to seek Him in His temple. Is David telling us that all he wants to do from Monday to Sunday is to sit in the church? Is that what David is saying? To every time be in church, every time pass the call in church, every Saturday in church, Sunday in church, every day in church. No. What is this one thing that David seek? What is this one thing that David seek? Let us look at what David said in Psalms 24. And I want you to read this together with me. Psalms 24 verses 3 to 4. Ready? One, two, three. Who may ascend unto the mountain of the Lord? And who may stand in his holy place? 
He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to what is false, nor has sworn deceitfully. What is the one thing that the remnant has? The one thing is a pure heart. Everyone say one thing. A pure heart. One more time. One thing. A pure heart. So what did the rich young ruler lack? A pure heart. What did Mary has? A pure heart. What did Paul pursue? One goal. A pure heart. Amen? What did David has? David has a pure heart. In fact, in the Beatitudes in Matthew, Jesus said, Blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. So when you are pure in your heart, you can see God. How many of you wave at me if you want to see God? Do you know that God is showing up right now? In many places, people are seeing God. Pastor Edwin told me a lot of people in Israel, in Iran, are seeing God, the manifestation of Jesus. So understand God is appearing right now on the earth. But we need to have a pure heart to see God. Look at Proverbs, the wisest man ever lived. God told this man, my son, give me your and let your eyes observe my ways. So when you have, when God has your heart, you will know the ways of God. You will not be led by all the naysayers. You will not be led by culture. You will not let, be led by all this so-called preacher in the internet telling you all those fables. You know the ways of God and you will not be deceived. Most of the problems of a Christian is because we don't have a pure heart. Our heart is not fully sold out for the Lord. We, we love God, but we also love the world. We also love things of the world. And so because of that, we don't walk in the power of God. Look at what the Bible says in 1 Samuel 16. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the Proverbs 3 verse 5 says, trust the Lord with all your heart. So if you, God don't have your whole heart, you cannot trust God. Today, Pastor Edwin speak during the offering message to trust God. You can't trust God if God doesn't have all your heart. Yeah? God doesn't have all your heart, you cannot trust God. So Ecclesiastes, God has set eternity in the human heart. You see, when your heart is not, if God doesn't have your heart, you live this life as if this is your final call. This life is not your final call. You live 70, 80 years, my children want me to live to 100, I say, oh, I don't think so. 100 seems very, very old for me. <laughs> How many years do we have? We have this life, but this is not the final destination. So because you know what is eternity, you live this life very carefully, intentionally, and full of purpose. Yeah. Amen? But because God doesn't have our own heart, we don't see eternity. So we live our life recklessly, carelessly, and think that tomorrow will come again. Who knows if you have a tomorrow? Jeremiah 29 verse 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So you see, when your heart is all about God, you will see God. So what does it mean to be pure in heart? This word pure is used in the New Testament two, two dozen times. And this is how it defines pure. Number one, it is free. Everyone say free. free. 
which means that your heart is free to pursue God. Doesn't mean it's sinless perfection, okay? Because we all have issues in life, am I right? We all struggle with certain things, am I right? We, we struggle with fear, anxiety, we struggle with this, struggle with that. But this heart, though it has all these issues, is free because it's set on one thing, and that is God. It's set on going where God is and not be drawn away by all these issues of our life. Second definition, it is not only free, it is the same. Just like a metal. If it's an alloy, it's a mix of both. But a pure heart is one, the same thing through and through. It is about one thing and one thing alone. It is not a mixture. It is about one pursuit. A pure heart is an undivided heart. If you have an undivided heart, there's nothing in your heart that doesn't or shouldn't belong there. If you have an undivided heart, you don't have a compartment for God, a compartment for work, a compartment for marriage, a compartment for your ministry. There's only one compartment in your life and God is all. God rules over all. If you have an undivided heart, your thoughts and your feelings are not in conflict with each other. They are all in alignment with God's purpose in your life. Can you say amen? amen? If you have an undivided heart, you live an integrated life. One life from the inside out. That kind of life is full of power. A Christian thinker said, purity of the heart is to will one thing. One more time, one thing. Say a pure heart. Say one thing. A pure heart. People who are pure at heart only want one thing and one thing alone, and the thing they want is God. I want to tell you a story in Matthew 15. The Pharisees came to Jesus and was rebuking Jesus. Say, Jesus, you didn't teach your disciples well. They never wash their hands properly when they eat. Let me tell you, the Pharisees are not concerned about hygiene, you know? Like sometimes when we have with mother or little children, right, we make sure that they clean their hands, so that they don't eat food with their germs and then get sick. They're not concerned about hygiene. What are they concerned about? They're concerned about defilement. They're concerned about being defiled. So they came up with this elaborate system of washing their hands. You know how they wash their hands? The ten fingers must point up to heaven. And then water be poured over their hands in different forms, different ways. Very elaborate. And it is done in the public so everybody can see, wow, they are so clean. They are so pure. You see, these Pharisees do not know God. So in order to connect with God, they come up with all this system to make themselves feel pure on the inside of them. And when they came to rebuke Jesus, you know, I just love Jesus. Jesus is so witty, right? He's so witty. He says, what you eat in your mouth come out from the other side. Isn't it true? Thank God it comes out, right? What you eat comes out from the other side. So it is not what you eat that defiles you, but what comes out of your mouth that defiles you. Because what comes out of your mouth comes from your heart. So these Pharisees literally have clean hands, very, very clean hands, but a filthy heart. Hmm. 
a form of godliness, attending church, giving your tithe, serving God. But yet the heart is not pure. A heart that is not pure. When you have an undivided heart, you don't think in terms of God's money and your money. They are all God's money. You don't think of God's time or your time because they're all God's time. You have been redeemed by God. You don't belong to yourself. You belong to God. Your whole life is about serving God and God's purpose. Amen? You're not torn between doing God's will or your will. If you are torn, that means your heart is not pure. You're not seeking God's glory or your glory because when God is glorified, you are glorified. Amen? Amen? And you don't just pray on Sunday or before mealtime. You pray all the time because your one goal, your one thing is to pursue God. Everyone say one thing, thing. a pure heart. One thing, thing. a pure heart. Sounds like a pledge, but anyway. Blessed are the pure at heart, for they shall see God. You will see God everywhere. Not only in the mountaintop, When you are in the valley low, you see God. You see God walking with you faithfully. Am I right? You see God. You understand why God needs you to go through the valley. So you are not afraid. How many people cannot see God? When they walk through the valley, they say, Oh my God, where are you? But if you have a pure heart, you see Him walking next to you. You see Him carrying you through. You see why you have to walk through that valley. Because the only time he got your attention was when you walked through the valley. Because when you're on the mountaintop, you never consider God. Amen? Blessed are the pure at heart, for they shall see God. When your life is about one thing, you see that one thing everywhere. So now I've prepared the ground. I'm going into my main message. (laughs) It's okay. I will let you go for lunch soon, okay? A pure heart can expect the best. Everyone say best. Best. The best for 2024 and beyond. B-E-S-T. Everyone say best. Best. So a pure heart, number one, can believe. B, can believe. 1 Chronicles 22 verse 19, it says, Now set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. Set your heart. That means you are the one in charge of your heart. Am I right? No one can force you. Am I right? So you can set your heart. You set your heart to love your husband and honor him. You set your heart to love your wife and be faithful to her. You set your heart that nothing is going to separate your marriage. You set your heart that you're going to be a person who serves the Lord regardless of men and women. You set your heart to be a person of excellence. You set your heart. You are the one in charge of your heart. All right? So when Jesus uh, began to tell the disciples, right, about the mountain-moving faith, you remember that story? He says, if you have faith uh, like a mountain, speak to the mountain and it will be cast into the sea. Remember that? But how many of you have ever prayed and a mountain move? <laughs> if, you, if you have not prayed and the mountain has never moved, how do you have faith to believe that the mountain will move? Yeah. Understand this? Because that is not what God is, what Jesus is saying. 
Because the key, the cue is the first line before he said that. He said, have faith in God. Everyone say, have faith in God. So the key is not, can I have mountain-moving faith? The question is, do I have faith in God? Hello? Do you have faith in God? How do you have faith in God? You set your heart. You set your heart to believe in God. You set your heart to trust God. You set your heart not to waver in the Word. You set your heart, no matter what, I'm hanging on to God for my dear life. I set my heart. So when you believe in God, there's nothing God in God will not do for you. Humanistic faith has entered the church. Humanism. And interpret faith according to the human understanding. What I can believe, I accept. Understand this is dangerous to our faith because there's nothing natural about our faith. Our faith is all supernatural. Faith in you says that you can only do what you believe based on what you can. Faith in God is based on what He said He can do. Faith in you says, I try. Faith in God says, I trust. Faith in you look at your circumstances and decide what you can do. But faith in God look at His unlimited resources. There was a man whose son was demon-possessed. He came to Jesus that day and asked Jesus to save his son. But this man had sought help for so long. When he came in desperation, Jesus said, do you believe? And guess what the father said? He answered a very paradoxical answer. He gave a very paradoxical answer. He said, I, Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. What is this father saying? This father is saying this. Lord, I have tried so hard. There's nothing that no one can do for my son. But today, I set my heart to believe in you. And guess what? Because he set his heart to believe in Jesus, his son was saved and delivered. Hallelujah. So the power of setting your heart. Now, even God himself set his heart on us. Job 7 verse 17. What is man that you should exalt him, that you should set your heart on him? God set his heart on you. You, you, you. He set his heart and he will not change his mind. No matter what you did, no matter what you're going to do, He's not going to change his mind about you. He's not going to change his mind that he's going to help you. He's going to save you. He's going to deliver you. He's going to make your life great. He's going to make you an example to this world. He's going to make you a sign for the Lord your God. He has set his heart. How about you? Right? A pure heart can believe. Number two, a pure heart can endure. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, verses 2 to 4, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come where they will not endure sound doctrine. Who are the they? The people in the church. 
but according to their own desires because they have itching ears, they heap up uh, for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. So Paul was trying to alert Timothy that in the last days, many of the people whose hearts are not pure, who's not steadfast in God, they entertain their own desires. These people, when they don't decide to have a pure heart, this desire will draw them away. They will find people who will agree with them about this desire. And then slowly but surely, they walk out of the narrow path. For example, they will, they will go and find people which agrees with them how they can live their life. That's, it's okay to live that kind of lifestyle, even though the Word of God clearly says it's not. And they will find agreement and then come against the Word of God. So Paul told Timothy, you therefore must endure. Everyone say endure. endure. One more time, say endure. Endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Everyone say one thing. A pure heart. Say one thing. A pure heart. I want to show you this video. The video of a race. The video of a race. You know, Paul, Paul envisioned or Paul illustrated the journey of a believer like a race, right? In Hebrews chapter 12 like a race. How many of you, if you join a race, what is your goal? To, win. Finish. to finish, right? Right? Am I right? You don't, you don't join the race and then because everyone is ahead of you, you give up. You say, oh yeah, what for? Yeah. Just turn back and walk away. Yeah. No, you, when you enter a race, you make sure you Finish the race. Am I right? Doesn't matter if you are front or at the back. Am I right? Doesn't matter if the crowd is cheering you on or not because you know heavens are cheering for you. Right? You, you don't care if your friends are running next to you or not. You keep running this race and your aim is to say finish. Will you finish the race? What is the end goal? Will you finish the race? Will you be steadfast? Will you not look to the left or to the right? Will you keep your eyes set on God? Will you keep your heart set on God? And you will finish this race. Paul says in Hebrews 12 verse 1, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance. Everyone say endure. Run with endurance the race that is set before us. A pure heart can be, sense for? A pure heart can? A pure heart can? And a pure heart, number three, can strengthen others. Can strengthen others. Look at Joseph. Joseph had a vision, a dream from God that he will be someone great and everyone is going to bow down at his feet. But when he began to talk about that dream, the next thing, he was thrown into the pit, from the pit so as a slave to Potiphar's house and got falsely uh, accused by Potiphar's wife and got thrown into the prison, met the cupbearer, met the, the butler, and then, but he continued to serve God. He continued to minister in the prison out of his gift. His gift is to interpret dreams. 
What a wonderful young man. God brought him through all that and he held on to a pure heart. And God raised him up. What about the widow in Zarephath? It was famine and drought. They, he, she only had one last meal for her and her son. And God told her, I want you to feed this man that's coming knocking at your door. You have not seen him, but I want you to feed him. How many of you think if you have the last meal that you will share with someone you do not know? But this widow had a pure heart set on God. So she's willing to share her last meal with this prophet. And when she shared her meal with the prophet, the jar of flour never stopped. It keeps filling up. Every time you take some off, it keeps filling up. The jar of oil never stops. It keeps filling up, the jar of oil. Amen. That is why we teach you, if you love your money, you will enter time of sorrow in a new world. Because there's no end to money. The love of money is the root of all evil. But if you were to give up control, like what Edwin said, and let God be the God of your finances, then He will make sure your jar of oil never runs dry. Your jar of flour never stops flowing. Amen? Every story has three characters. Right? You like a story? I love to watch thriller, suspense. (laughs) My children always laugh at me. I love to watch murder's story, you know, like... Who did it? Who did it? You know, every story has three main characters. The first character is the victim, right? The victim. Let me tell you the victim. Who is the victim? A victim is someone who says, I need to have so that I can do. And then I will be. So I need to have Chris' body. I need to have, you know, Jalisa's voice. I need to have, you know, Edwin's eloquence. Oh, maybe I need to have the favor of the pastor. Oh, Uh, or that the pastor see me. If I have all these, then I can do great things for the kingdom of God. And when I can do this, I will be a person of significance. I will be a child of God. Victims? Many of them. Maybe not. Maybe that victim said, oh, because... I was not loved by my mother, abandoned by my father. Oh, because I was divorced. Oh, because I don't have a husband. Oh, I don't have a wife. Oh, I have not been trained. So because I don't have this, I cannot do this, and I cannot be someone of significance in the kingdom. Do you have the victim mindset? The second character of every story is the villain. I like the villain. In the story, I mean. You know. Because they're the ones that make things interesting, am I right? Yeah, if it's just a victim, then, you know. The villain is always the one that comes in to spice up things. Now, what does the villain think? The villain said, I must do. Then I will have. And when I have, I will be. So this villain will do everything 
to showcase who he is, to showcase what she can do. She will, he, he will always do a lot of things, be busy with a lot of things to make people feel that, oh, he is so creative. Oh, he is so talented. Oh, he is so spiritual. So when he does all these things, he will have the favor, the position, the anointing and all that so that he can be someone different. But you know, a villain leads a very tired life because the villain is always about proving to others that he is worthy. And this person leads a double life. In the public is one persona. At home is a different persona. Public, confident. At home, frustrated, angry, resentful. Are you a villain? But we all should be the third character. Everyone say Victor. Yeah, come put your hand like a V for me. Victor, we are the victors. What does the victors do? The victors say, I am. I'm, I am a person. I will be a person of significance. I will be a son and a daughter of the kingdom. And because you know all that you have, you have created in the image of God, you have everything that is needed, even right now. Even if you do not know everything, you have all that is needed to serve the purpose of the kingdom. You can fast, you can pray, you can minister, you can worship, you can support. You have everything you need. You do what you can with what you have. And then because you have all these things done, you now can do you have all these things you can do a lot of things for the kingdom where you're at and because you are a doer you give to people you focus on giving to people and what what happens god then give more to you and then you can you have more you have more and then you do more and you do more then you can give more and god gives you more than you do and you have more and you keep doing more and you keep giving more God is looking for victors. God is looking for men and women whose heart is pure, set on Him, so that He can give you all that is necessary to be the answer to this world. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're not a victim. Tell them again, you're a victor. So a pure heart can believe, a pure heart can endure, a pure heart can strengthen others. A pure heart always triumphs. Psalms 25, verses 1 to 3. Can you read this for me? Ready? 1, 2, 3. Amen. Say, I will not be put to shame. Say it one more time. Say, I will not be put to shame. Say one thing. Pure heart. One more time. One thing. Pure heart. Revelation 12 verse 11 says, And they be overcame them, the believers, the remnant, the chosen. They became, uh, overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, the power of their testimony. And third thing, they did not love their lives to the death. We always say the first two. We have the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. But the third thing is what separates the remnant from the rest. 
is that they do not love their life and they give it up to the Lord, pure in heart. If you know that in the end, the Bible says in Philippians 2, that all knees must bow, all tongues must confess in heaven, on earth, and beneath, then you know this story, who wins? Jesus wins. So if you know Jesus is winning, what must you do to respond, to get yourself prepared to be on the winning team? Understand this race, many will run, but not everyone will finish. Many will run, but not everyone will finish. What is that one thing that will make 2024 and beyond best years of our lives? Is a pure heart that can believe, endure, strengthen others, and triumph. Jeremiah 50. Jeremiah warned the people, and this, this passage is actually for the leaders of the church, for the leaders during that time, to warn the leaders that they should never compromise in their teaching. He said, it is time to come up to the mountaintop, for if you stay in the hillside, you will be devoured. It is time to come up to the mountain to hear from God yourself. Yeah. Remember, the children of Israel refused to come up to the mountaintop. He said, Moses, you go up and hear from God. Leaders of the church, you must train your people to come up to the mountaintop and hear God for themselves. They need to come up to the mountaintop, for if they stay in the mid-ground, they will be devoured. I travel a lot for business and ministry, and on the airplane, usually when it's turbulent, is when I'm in the mid-air, neither here nor there, there's turbulence. But when the aircraft, when the captain elevates the aircraft above the cloud, there is clear sky. Smooth sailing. Understand what Jeremiah is telling us. Look at Jeremiah 50 verses 6 to 7. It says, My people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray. They have turned them away on the mountains. They have gone from mountain to hill. They have forgotten their resting place. All who found them have devoured them. And their adversary says, We have not offended because they have sinned against the Lord, the habitation of justice, the Lord, the hope of their Father. What is Jeremiah saying? Jeremiah is saying, and he's giving this di dialogue, he says, with the, uh, the adversaries are talking among themselves. And the adversaries, the demons are saying, we didn't know, do anything. We don't need to do anything. All we need to do, all, all they did was to sin against God and they came down from the mountain to the hill. And because they came down from the hill, they were easy prey for us. That's all we need to do for them to sin against God. And they came out of the covering of God and God and demons can devour them. It is time for you not to play church, but be serious with God. Everyone say one thing. Say pure heart. One more time, say one thing. Pure heart. Many years ago, God wanted to write a story. He wanted to write a story of humanity, of salvation. And He was looking for a man with a pure heart. Not a perfect man, just a man 
who has the ability to set his heart. And he found Abraham. You know, Abraham didn't come from a Christian background like most of us. His father was a pagan worshiper. The Bible highlighted that. So he doesn't know Yahweh. But when God came to him, God saw he had the ability to set his heart. And God came to him. And this is what God told Abraham in Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3. Let's read this together with me. Ready? One, two, three. Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you, and in all your families of the earth shall be blessed. I want you to know when God spoke to Abraham this blessing, God didn't tell him the specific. God didn't tell him what are the blessing, how much he's going to have, whatever. But, and that's why Abraham is great. Abraham set his heart to believe God. And because he set his heart to believe God, he was able to endure many things in that journey. He waited 25 years for that promise to come to pass, the birth of Isaac. And in the midst of it, because of the way he lived, people around him say, oh, God is with you, so please stay with us. It was evident his life was full of God. And of course, Abraham triumphs. But you know, God didn't tell him what is promised, but Abraham believed. And in Genesis 15, this is what God did for Abraham. God cut a covenant with him. Today, and we'll talk about a covenant, right? God cut a covenant with him. Because in ancient, Eastern ancient time, when you make a covenant, it's not made, it's cut. They cut the animals so that the lower king, the king who is supposed to perform, to give all these things to the higher king for protection, he will walk through the cut animals as a pledge to the higher king. If I don't give you all this gold and silver and do all this for you, let me die like the cut animal. But in Genesis 15, God told Abraham to prepare the cut animal. And do you know what's the next thing he did? He caused Abraham to go into a deep sleep. Have you ever slept? You are conscious but cannot wake up? Ever had that experience? That was what happened to Abraham. But Abraham saw during that time that there was a smoking torch, a burning torch, a smoking oven, the emblem of God. And this emblem actually walked through the cut animals. In that, God cut a covenant with Abraham. What kind of covenant it is? It is a unilateral covenant. Only one party sacrificed everything. Abraham didn't need to sacrifice anything. God sacrificed everything. He sacrificed His very own Son. The second thing about this covenant is unbreakable. In order for God to break His covenant with Abraham, God must die. And you know God cannot die. The third thing is this. This covenant is conditional. It's unconditional in its giving, but conditional in its giving. 
So that's why God in Deuteronomy say, if you obey, everyone say obey. If you obey me, if you follow me, all these covenant is yours. And God is so serious. Listen up. God is so serious to perform His covenant. He chased Abraham all the way to Isaac. And when Isaac was wanting to go to Egypt because there was a drought where he was in Canaan, he wants to go to Egypt. God says, stop there. I will prosper you. Don't look to the world system. I will prosper you because your father, Abraham, obeys me. How many Isaac do we have that still look to the world? And then he chased after Jacob. Jacob represents all those believers who have the covenant, but still believe in themselves to provide for themselves. And God had to stop uh, stop Jacob and say, you stop here. He had to put his finger to stop him from going where he was going. Because you see, the covenant of God is greater. Jacob is going for what is the world. But God has a greater covenant for him. I want to assure you, if you are fathers and mothers, understand your children and their children shall not be lost. Because this is the covenant God has promised you. But will you be a man of pure heart, a woman of pure heart? When you follow God, God will pursue you, your children and their children. And a thousand generations. Because in order for him to break his covenant, he must die. And there's no way he can die. And so he is so serious to pursue you. But will you allow yourself to be pursued? Will you run and come to God and say, God, I want to have a pure heart. One more time, say one thing. A pure heart. One more time, say one thing. A pure heart. Stand up from where you are. How many of you want to see God? Father, I say, look at these hands. You know their hearts. Father, see their hands. How many of you want to have a pure heart for the Lord? 